Despite media claims to the contrary, Trumpism still going strong. Alaska, a big Senate win for the GOP. Tillis officially takes North Carolina. Pompeo makes the joke that the libs can't understand. And a deep stater wants the 25th Amendment invoked now. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Still in the fight, still pushing on. Gotta love it. Not going to slow down. Can't stop. Won't stop, Team Buck. That's how we roll. Can you see it right now? The Democrats are finally waking up to a reality, I think, here. They won't admit this. They won't say it out loud. But this whole problem with the voter fraud, allegations thereof, and evidence provided, sworn affidavits are evidence, in fact. You don't have to believe them, but they are evidence turns out that they are going to see this thing through we're going to check we're going to make sure and you know what happens at the end of all of this if the president if the administration if the campaign are satisfied that they have had their day in court then yes in fact we'll move on but not to a new gop that's delusional and this i think is what's finally dawning on the other side What happened in this election, you have to always understand, was in a once in a century pandemic. And I can't emphasize that enough. If we had gone into this this election cycle with the world as it was a year ago, without covid, without the lockdowns, the uh, massive job losses and all these things, which are absolutely not Trump's fault. Any reasonable person understands that. This is not a function of his policies. It's not a function of decision-making in the White House. They pretended, but that's just absurd. We all know that the likelihood of a resounding Trump victory was very high under those circumstances. And even under those circumstances, we have the GOP now poised to maintain control in the Senate and to pick up House seats. Usually the party of the president, the guy that runs the executive branch, is the one who's going to get all the blame, and his party is going to get the blame, too, in a situation like this, in a circumstance where the country finds itself in so much difficulty, so many challenges, right? Usually that would be the case. But somehow the American people were able to see through the media smear campaigns and smoke screens And understand that, yeah, the rioting left-wing lunatic party, probably not who we want in charge going forward. Maybe they were able to convince enough folks that they're just exhausted by Trump personally, by his tweets, by the the loose cannon reality of of some of his counterpunching, right? Which is a, a true thing. The president is not always focused. But having a loose cannon, as I've said before, you want Doc Holliday to be carrying the street howitzer, for those of you that remember the movie Tombstone. Because the other side gets a little bit more uneasy knowing that there's a guy out there who's actually willing to pull the trigger, and he's got the big gun. Trump is somebody who fights back. We've known that all along. 
We've known what his position is on taking incoming from the media. He's going to give it back to the other side. And that's not going to stop. Where do they think the president, his supporters, his, his, his top advisors, his children, his family, let's be clear about this. There are political aspirations in that family beyond President Trump. What do they think happens now? We're all going to be quiet. Unity, they scream. Unify with us or else. You will unify with us and you will kneel. No, I, I, say, I say no. I say we're not going to do that. I'd rather continue the fight. Continue to make the argument. Yes, respect the rules of our system because that's essential to our side. We believe in rules and laws and the Constitution. We believe that we're having these political debates within a framework established by the framers, by the founding fathers. And we continue in that tradition. So win or lose in this presidential election, we are here to stay, friends. Trumpism is about so much more than any one policy issue. And yet, uh, yes, it's. More than just the president himself. He has changed the mindset of people within the GOP and those, you know, rhino types who are seeing an opportunity now. Yeah, they're going to get on TV. They're going to be elevated by the other side because they're useful to the other side. But where is the base? Remember, the GOP was 97 percent in support of President Trump. That was while he was in office still in office, of course, they think that that's all changed now, that in a in a fluke year, a total outlier, a lightning strike in the historical calendar of the 2020 presidential election year with covid just influencing everything and making everyone more depressed, more frightened, less hopeful, less optimistic that the best they can do is squeak out maybe uh, a handful of states by 20, 30,000 votes under those circumstances, given what they were promising, which was five or six gained seats in the House of Representatives, likely Senate control of 50 or 51 votes to the Democrats and a Biden presidency. It turns out that they were wrong, as we know, and we'll continue to bash the pollsters because they deserve it. They were wrong on all counts. But what does that wrongness tell us? We, we go a little bit beyond just dancing on the grave of pollster credibility, which we're very aware is already a done deal. How did we get to this point? Well, because Trump transformed the GOP into a mechanism for fighting in our politics, for pushing back for holding firm, for holding the line. That's what Trumpism is. You believe in something, you will push for that idea, and you will fight for that idea. You do so within the bounds of decency and honor. And look, I know sometimes Trump maybe could be a little gruff, but he did fight. And a lot of us saw what the results of that were. The mainstream media is never going to recover. The Democrat Party's perception of a controlled opposition GOP, that's not coming back. They realize now that we see them. They've been exposed. The left, the apparatus, the elites. And it even goes beyond just the left, right, 
ideological separation. It goes into the apparatus of control in our system. And I mean general control, societal control. Who really supports the old way, the pre-Trump way of politics? Tech oligarchs, Hollywood, academia, Wall Street, corporate law, right? The big corporate law firms. They support that. They like that. They want to return to that old way. It's about more than any one policy issue. It's not it's not immigration or national security or the tax rate even for them. It's there's a way things are supposed to be done. There are certain people who are supposed to be in charge making all the decisions and benefiting their friends and their cronies. And and Trump comes in and he smashes up that system quite a bit. He says, no, we know who you are. We know about the sellout of American interests by giant corporations, the K Street corridor in D.C., all those think tanks uh, and lobbyists, the, the sellout to China. What are we doing? Why would we ever have persisted in that delusion that allowing China to enrich itself at American expense is a good idea because the people in charge were benefiting from it. Why would we go along with the increasingly onerous tentacles of digital Titan control from places like Google and Facebook? Because it's all so convenient. It's all so easy. So happy to see right now the explosion that's going on on Parler. Who is calling in June for unsinkable aircraft carriers of free speech for our side. Not explicitly conservative, just not going to play the left-wing censorship game. I, I, I told you about that. Rush Limbaugh, God bless him, read every word of that thread on his show. There were a couple of conservatives who care only about their turf and their millions, and they had a problem with that thread and actually attacked me for it. Oh, it was whining. Yeah, really? No, it was actually a rallying cry to get other people like me who have a lot that they want to share out there to know that there are places where we can go and we can be a part of creating our own, shall I say, mainstream media of building up platforms so that we can finally go tank to tank on the battlefield with them instead of well, we can all pile into this one vehicle and it doesn't really have any armor and we might run out of gas. But, you know, conservatism is used to that. No. Build more, build out, create our own platforms and institutions. That doesn't mean abandon the other ones. It means use them and use our own stuff. It means growth instead of trying to just squeeze whatever we're given, the scraps from the table of the libs and the mainstream media. This is all, friends, Trumpism. This was not the mentality under what would have been a Romney administration, but it was not the mentality under the Bush administration either. There it was compassionate conservatism. We're going to meet the left in the middle. We'll bring them over to our side. Bring them over to your side. They want to get you fired from your job, deplatformed off of the Internet, ruined and humiliated you, you want to just try to buy them off treat them like obama treated the mullahs send them pallets of cash hope they stop being so mean to you no the trump movement lives on friends 
And there are still, even in this very challenging time of COVID, there are still victories to speak of. The Senate victory in Alaska puts us one step closer to GOP control, which means that Joe Biden's agenda for the next two years is going nowhere. Nowhere. And the pitiful executive actions and the nonsense, wokeness and social justice will try to inflict on us. We'll just show people the Democrats are an unserious party for unserious people when it comes to policies that are supposed to benefit the American people. When it comes to ideological acts that are meant as a show. Yeah, they're really good at that. Virtue signaling is an area where they excel. Making your life better, making it easier for you to pay your mortgage. Not so much. Not so much. Don't listen to the exaggerated claims of Trumpism's demise, friends. It's not true. And the left is waking up to this now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Let me just say uh, about uh, your comment and question about the president and the reckoning that clearly is not happening with the GOP. The fact that he won almost 71 million votes nationwide in the popular vote. The Republicans who I talk to see that and know that this is Trump's political party and will be for a long time, whether he is president or not, whether he runs in 2024 or not. He has a platform, as you said at the top of the show, he wants to continue his uh, his political situation with it, with the with the pack. And there a lot of people who I talk to say they're worried that he is go- or they believe that he's going to start some television network where he's going to have uh, another place for that megaphone right. besides Twitter and, and elsewhere. I love it. It's great, isn't it? For everything that Donna Bosch, everything she says there is true. It is possible for accurate analysis to come out of the mouth of somebody on CNN. It does, ha- it does happen on occasion, even when they're talking about Trump. <clears throat> this is Trump's political party. There is no realistic, there is no realistic future of the GOP that anyone can see right now that does not involve the Trump approach. And yes, the voice of Donald Trump himself and many others who have been critical to this administration going forward. What, they, they think that we can't, build and grow and do more over the next two years remember trump also got unprecedented the highest in 50 years support among african americans among latinos oh wouldn't that be amazing i want in the in the next election i want control of the house to flip because of african american gop voters oh wouldn't that be amazing as part of this Trump movement continue to grow? Why is that not possible? Someone look at the numbers and tell me. Not the polls, which are bullcrap, as we know. Look at the actual numbers. Look at Latinos. Turns out Latinos like that the person running the country more so than they did in the past with the GOP approach that we've seen. They like a GOP leader who will say that they're going to put the interests of Americans like them first. They like somebody who wants uh, to make it easier for small businesses. That's what we see happening right now. We were being told that the GOP was a dead party. It's not going to happen. It's just for old, bitter white men. That's their line about about Donald Trump in 2016, right? It was even referred to on CNN as a, quote, 
white lash. Remember that? End quote. And yet, now we see that wasn't true at all, just like the polls were not true. And they're lying about Trump as a white nationalist and all this. I mean, this is this was always just a vicious, ugly smear, a Kavanaugh style smear. That was what calling Trump a white nationalist was all about. Just make the accusation, lie about it to create fake evidence, which is what they do with the both people, both sides comment, right? People on both sides lie about it as much as you have to. Democrats are seeing now, okay, yeah, you're going to have to you're going to have to go around with a little bib and clean up the corners of Joe Biden's mouth all the time when he gets a, you know, a little bit uh, a little bit confused about what's going on. You're going to have to go do a lot of cleanup on aisle four for good old blue collar Joe while the Trump movement now just gets to operate entirely freely. And again, I know that we're still counting votes. I know it's not over, but I'm I got to be able to look into the future from all the stuff that I'm saying remains true, even if Trump wins in terms of the movement, in terms of its trajectory. What, what do Democrats have? Where's the enthusiasm? They built a, a political opposition based on hatred of one man and spite toward his 70 million plus supporters. What's their great idea? All their real ideas. Say what you will about the socialists in the Democrat Party. They got ideas, not good ones. But they got ideas. What did Joe Biden even run on? Does anyone even remember? Hey, you know, I'm gonna, you know we're going to do the good things and we're going to listen to the science and I'm reading off a of cue cards and I'm in the basement. Seven little chipmunks sitting on a branch eating a lot of acorns out of Uncle Joe's ranch. Right? Well, what exactly did this guy run on? What ideas does he represent? Yeah, I understand. They'll say, yeah, look at the scoreboard. The scoreboard was very close, friends. It's still very close, and they're still waiting to certify votes. But this is the best they could do in a pandemic year? It was supposed to be a wipeout. And th- we were demoralized. The GOP. I- Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back to the idea of the unsingable Aircraft carriers are free speech. That's the phrase that I tried to popularize on Twitter um, uh, back in June. And uh, the, the, greatest, the greatest radio host of all time, Rush Limbaugh, was kind enough to read, read that whole thread, as you know, on his show. I bring it up again because we're seeing that happen now. And we are seeing some GOP billionaires behind the scenes, but I know some, I know some of the players involved. I know some of them. Not well, personally, but I know they are, and I've talked to them. And they're stepping up because why should we concede this advantage? What do you think it's worth in every presidential election to have 90% plus? It's really about 95%. If you did a head count in news media, 95 out of 100 people in news media are either, you know, leftists or center left. And you will get a handful of center left people in media who who can do their jobs with some honesty. I will say that they exist. They're very rare. I mean, they're they're unicorn status. Uh, well, I guess unicorns don't technically exist, but it, they're like a a white rhinoceros. I think they're the most or one of them is really, really endangered. I forget either the black rhino or the white rhino is really, really endangered. One of those. They're rare, but they exist. They're rare, but they exist. Otherwise, Media Matters. Buck Sexton thinks unicorns are real. No, no, not 
not quite. Uh, but why do we concede that advantage to the other side? Why do we do that? Look at the way we view different, different voting demographics and how we break this down and we get into all the data all across the country. Look at the way that we will say we need to go from, um, you know, so let's say 20% Latino support to 35% Latino support to win the following states. Or we need, you know, white working class voters in the Rust Belt to vote at this percentage. Or we need African-American voters in the South to come out for the GOP in these numbers to win, right? We, we do this analysis all the time. That's what people in politics are constantly doing. And as we see from the pollsters, a lot of them get it wrong, but we're focused on that. Yet we just assume that we can win elections when a constituency that has more reach and spends more of its time involved in creating perception and making people think certain things that will then affect their voting patterns than anybody else, the media, we're all just, you know, there's, there's limited bandwidth at Fox News. You know, they only have so many hours in the day. You can only have so many people on TV at one time. and. Some of them are liberals, as you're seeing. So keep that in mind. There are no liberals at CNN. No one at CNN who's an anchor goes on TV and says, you know, Joe Biden's being a jerk about this whole concession thing. Trump's right. Nope, not going to happen. At Fox, that happens. At Fox, they have anchors who will ask the president during a nationally televised debate if he's a if he supports white nationalism. You'll notice that doesn't exist at the other networks. You, you think you're going to keep your job at MSNBC? If you go on TV and say, you know, Joe Biden kind of does seem like he might have early stage dementia. <laughs> yeah, you're gone. Why do we concede? Oh, just one note. You know, MSNBC, John Meacham. People have always been telling me, read John Meacham biography. I won't do it. I won't do it. I know his Hamilton biography is the basis for the Hamilton Broadway play. The Hamilton Broadway play is, is, is pretty unwatchable. I wouldn't even say I don't think it's good. I, I couldn't even get through it. I watched it. I never went, paid the $800, whatever it was for a ticket. Um, I thought it was it was absurd, but John Meacham was a paid on air analyst analyzing a speech about honor or largely about honor in politics that he was a consultant and I believe helped write for Joe Biden. So isn't that great? That's the perfect encapsulation, though, of how of how the establishment media, the elite media operates. You want to get paid to go on TV and analyze as an independent, you know, journalist mind or whatever, presidential historian. They love presidential historians. I'm like, what? What do they know? They don't know anything more about contemporary politics than anybody else just because they've written a couple of histories that nobody, well, Meacham's books have been well read. I will, I will admit that. I do live in reality. Uh, but, you know, MSNBC didn't tell anybody this guy was involved in the speech that he's on air analyzing, so now they, they, ha- they, they ended his contributor gig. Only because he got found out on this one. But can you imagine if I had written a President Trump speech and then I appeared on TV to talk about, you know what, that speech was fantastic. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't people think I was kind of being a jerk? Uh, turns out this stuff happens all the time in liberal media because they have half the country as a constituency. They've got 50 percent roughly of, of Americans who don't really want to get a daily dose of news that's like America's awful and racist and we should beg other countries to be nicer to us. And, oh, yeah, climate change is going to drown us all in 10 years, we swear. 
If, if you don't want to hear that, you really only have one option. Ah, but that's changing now, isn't it? I have a show on the first TV. The first TV has, has Bill O'Reilly, Dana Lash, Jesse Kelly, me, a whole bunch of great contributors. We're building out. And I want to see other places build out, too. I, I want to see more of this. Why do we spend? We spend so much time on the right dealing with, and many of you don't know this, but there's a lot of infighting that goes on. Uh, there are people that all they want to do is make sure they, they hold on to their little perch and they just go around pushing down all the other conservatives that they can, that they view as a threat. You know, they'll have some people on as guests, but other people they'll, they'll push down as a threat. They don't want them to get any bigger. D does the left have to do that, really? Not, not in the same way, not at all. You don't like being at CNN? Go to MSNBC. See how good your show can be there. Doesn't work there? Go to NPR. Doesn't work there? Be a lunatic and go work for the Young Turks. I mean, there's endless options. Endless options. But we, we get fixed in this place where we have, you know, one major national newspaper that's establishment and not communist, but it is establishment. That's the Wall Street Journal. And it's kind of a Paul Ryan-style GOP approach. I mean, there are some conservatives right there. I think Kim Strassel's stuff is great. There are other people. Why should we concede this? We, can, we actually can do something about this. And all of you can do something about this. People ask me, what can we do for the movement? We have to win the cultural battle, too. We have to support the platforms that we believe share our views. And that means with downloads, with dollars, with action. I'm telling you this. I mean, I, I feel very strongly. I've been somebody for a long time. Whenever I've got a friend who writes a book, they'll say, I'll send you a copy. I say, no, let me buy it. I'll go on Amazon. Let me buy your book. I want to support you. Right. And, and there are different people who, you know, I, I don't really have the time to listen to other people's podcasts, but I used to listen to them history podcasts. And, you know, I, when they would talk about a sponsor, I would go and, and check out and see, well, could I use this? Is this a product I'd like it? That's how we do this. Or you can just keep getting CNN running endless, you know, Mercedes Benz and Delta Airlines and all these blue chip, you know, wonderful companies that pay top dollar and just jamming their lib propaganda through CNN down your throat all the time. And then them, them scoffing at conservatives because, you know, we've got these networks that run out of money and don't have enough viewers and don't know what the, that's how we that's part of Trumpism, too. And that's why they're terrified at the idea that Trump may build his own network or may just join some network, join forces with something or someone out there. Think about that. What was the X factor in 2016 that led to the biggest presidential upset of my lifetime, of, of any of our lifetimes? What was the X factor? Donald Trump was able to take his message right to the people. And because of social media, and this was before Twitter had decided that it was going to be giving in-kind contributions in quite the same way to the DNC because of all of that. Donald Trump was able to get around the usual barriers and to form his own, and to form his own narrative of his, of his ascension, to form his own narrative around his campaign, and people were exposed to it. And instead of having to go beg, as GOPers in the past did, when, when they would, you know, when there'd be fake news about them, fake news is not new. Trump just calls it out. He says, Wait, hold on a second, that's crap. And it's intentional. Not some good faith error from the New York Times. Well, Trump is able to tweet out to his, whatever it is now, 80 million followers, something like that. 
He's able to tweet it out. And we all know what his response is right away. We don't have there's no filter. He doesn't have to go beg one of these Sunday shows. OK, we'll have you on. And they have some journos, you know, really trying hard to sound authoritative. And, you know, thank you for being here, sir. And we're journalists and we're going to ask you the tough questions. And bunch of lib propagandists. He doesn't have to go through that filter. In fact, if anything, I I think the administration spent too much time on, on some of these platforms that were just take down Trump operations. You know, I, I don't know why they gave some of the interviews and access they did. I think it was a mistake in the comm shop. Just going to tell you that. You know, that's another conversation. But this is all coming together now. I don't know if they'll call it Trump TV, but if they form something, if they build a network, it also takes all the, all the culture that has been built around this. All the America pride that goes into MAGA. I mean, I can't tell you how much you, you go on the internet and you get into these Trump, pro-Trump areas and uh, you know there are people who are making hilarious memes. There are guys who are, who are grilling steaks and talking about you know, their, their love for America and they're building their own followings and they're part of the, the MAGA revolution. You see, and I've never, I've never seen this before, in, in the MAGA realm, you will see, you know, uh, young guys, lovely young women who are pro-Trump, who are proud of it, and who, you know, will, will put it out there. And, and it's just, there's this whole, this whole shift in thinking. And even if, even if we lost this one, I mean, it was a miracle that Trump won in 2016 with the forces arrayed against him. So now we're going to see, we're going to count these votes. We're going to look for this fraud, find out what really has happened. But this is all moving in the right direction. I'm here to bring you the good news. And the good news is MAGA is here to stay, friends. Trumpism is going to surge, especially when you see some of the decisions that these uh, Democrats are going to be making if Biden takes office, which they're all assuming he is, of course. And that leads us then to, oh, my gosh, the panic, the panic around how Trump hasn't left yet. The pearl clutching for libs is really central now to their politics. They think that we're all going to just react the same way they do. And they go, oh, my gosh, good heavens. Trump is such a. He's such a monster. He hasn't already left. The, he's still the president till January. You jerks. Calm down, libs. But they can't. They just can't. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. How do you expect to be able to work with Republicans when so many have thus far refused to even acknowledge your victory? Well, first of all, uh, we are already beginning the transition. We're well underway. And uh, the ability uh, for uh, the administration in any way by failure to recognize this our win uh, does not uh, change the dynamic at all in what we're able to do. We've announced yesterday, as you know, the health group that we put together today. We're going to be going, moving along in a, in a consistent manner, putting together our administration, the White House, and reviewing who we're going to pick for the cabinet positions. And nothing's going to stop that. And, uh, and so I'm confident that uh, 
the fact that they're not willing to acknowledge we won at this point is uh, not of much consequence in our planning and what we're able to do between now and January 20th. Why won't you bend the knee? Notice the journal teased it up. How do, you, how do you work with Republicans when they don't already admit that you lost or that they lost? Uh, yeah, I mean, what is, what's really supposed to happen here? This is part of the process. There's, this is not outside of it. I don't want to keep repeating that for the millionth time, but there is nothing about this that is, meaning the bringing the challenges to the voting irregularities is entirely regular is entirely within this should be like saying if you're watching a football game you know it's the last minute of the game and someone well i guess it would have to be within the last three minutes of the game right because two minutes they officials challenge but if you threw a challenge flag before the two minute warning in the fourth quarter and the other team's up a a touchdown uh, that's fine you're allowed to do that the trump team is throwing a challenge flag in some of these states and it's being reviewed that's that's all of it right now yeah, there's concerns. There's a real reason to believe that there have been irregularities and there's allegations of outright fraud. So we're going to find out why would think about this. Trump's going to concede and then contest it in court. Uh, imagine the calls that that would be made at that point. Imagine the hysteria around Trump is a dictator. He went back on his word. Oh, my gosh. Good heavens. You know that's what they would say. Trump, Trump agreed that he lost, and now he's being a big, mean, evil tyrant by going to court. But because he's going to court and not conceding, oh, he's still a tyrant. You see, he's not allowed to challenge it. That's what, if you just work through the logic here, if you work through the positions, there's nothing the president is allowed to do that makes him not a tyrant, as far as the libs are concerned, other than bend the knee, beg forgiveness, they won't give it to you, concede. Tell us you lost. Take the L. This is another, another lesson of the Trump era in our politics. And it's very important. Don't ever listen to the left when they tell you to take the L. Meaning, you know, take the loss. They aren't going to give you anything if you go against your instincts, if you go against what you think is right, and you say, fine, fine, I'll concede, I'll take the loss. Then they say, see? And now take your punishment. The way the left approaches politics now, it's not plead guilty and we'll give you a better sentence. It's sign your own confession and then we'll bury you under the prison. Just remember that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, the journos are in panic. Which is so weird because their their preferred candidate, they think, won, right? So what's what's the big deal, guys? Calm down. It's all going to be fine. Live in the now. Take a chill. Why got to be all crazy, Democrat journos? Why? Why can't you just relax a little bit? Wouldn't that be better? You got so many of them now going, oh, he's never going to leave. What's going to happen? Here's a... John Harwood over at CNN, he's, he's one of the, the anti-Trumpers that pretends to be a journo. Play 12. 
Look, the president has been uh, hunkered down in the White House, mostly watching television, reacting to television, not uh, uh, by any outward sense uh, doing the job of president in this deadly pandemic, except for um, uh, firing a bunch of people who had uh, stood up to him, like Mark Esper, the uh, former defense secretary. Um, uh, the president's obviously struggling psychologically to accept his defeat uh, while he is doing so. Uh, he is forcing the entire Republican Party to acquiesce uh, in this charade, in part because they're trying to uh, motivate their base for a couple of Senate elections in Georgia uh, in January. Uh, and the question is going to be, how long can the president maintain this position? How long can, will Republicans stay with him? Yeah, that's a journalist, folks. That's what he would tell you. That's the claim he'd make. Doing a little bit of... Uh on-the-fly psych analysis there. Well, the president's psychologically struggling. The president's fine. There's nothing about what's going on right now that is outside of the rules established before this election. When I mean the, the challenges being brought state by state. Nothing. There's no part of this that should worry anyone, but you'll notice the journalists are terrified, and I think it's because they've really overpromised themselves. They thought we're going to win this election by a lot and Trump will be repudiated. People will be ashamed, ashamed of the moments that they wore MAGA hats and not just people in the media. Fake Tapper, who is among the most thin skinned and really, uh, well, fraudulent and vile people in the mainstream media. Just ask anybody who's ever had fake Tapper crawl into their DMs on Twitter and threaten their career. One of his favorite things to do, as if he's in a position to do that. Uh, fake Tapper said on on Twitter publicly what a lot of us know is his, is his general mentality, which is think about how employers during this difficult time, people should think about how employers will view the way they acted. Wait, what? It's a not subtle way of a fake Tapper at CNN telling people, you know, now is your chance to turn on Trump. Now's your chance, especially if you're in the media. You, you turn on Trump now, may, maybe, maybe there'll be a little room for you over at uh, CNN or one of these other places. You know, you, you j jump ship at this moment. Come on. We're about to we're about to storm the castle. You want to betray your side, hand over the keys, make it a little easier for us? We'll, we'll treat you nicely. We promise. What they're finding out is that everybody who has been shields high for Trump all along is standing there, gripping their battle axe, gripping their two-handed sword, uh, their claymore, if you will, sword, and then turned into a mine later. And they're saying, no, we, we're going to fight this one out. Metaphorically, folks, obviously, just in, just in case the, the scum from Media Matters wants to clip that one out, metaphorically speaking. No, we're going to fight. We're going to fight until we are, we are truly beaten in this, in this battle, or until we win, obviously. And then we'll move on. Not before then. Not before then. We're not going to bend the knee. Didn't stop because the day after the election, not on election night, Joe Biden got a slim margin of victory in a handful of states. It didn't turn into, oh, yeah, sure. We're, we're let's all bend the knee. OK, let's go back to let's go back to the Romney McCain version of things where we're like, you know, gosh, darn it. You guys just keep beating us and you keep inflicting your horrible policies on us and doing all these terrible things that we don't like. But, you know, as long as you say we're good losers, we're OK with that. 
long as you say we're gracious in defeat, no, we'll be we'll be, uh, you know, reasonable in defeat when we're sure we're defeated and not before then. The libs do not (laughs) like this. Here's 13. Well, it's significant because it's not just norm breaking, but it's completely inappropriate uh, and unpresidential and and very unlike the United States of America. But I still think it's the former. I think it's the petulance. I think it's the denial. And it's the most unsurprising thing we've seen in the history of Donald Trump as president uh, to argue that something is rigged, uh, not to play by the rules. Uh, to lead his uh, supporters along. Um, Donald Trump has a death grip over the grassroots of the Republican Party, and that didn't change in the aftermath of this election. Ah, the last thing he said is somewhat accurate analysis. I, don't, I wouldn't say death grip, but yeah, the, the grassroots of the GOP are still with Trump. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's such a lack of self-awareness from journalists on this issue you have to remember, they they promoted the Russia collusion hoax for four years now. I mean, they still will say there was something there or we just haven't found it yet, which was all just a denial of the 2016 election. And they created extra legal processes to go after the president. They abused FISA. Right. They did things that should never have been done that were wrong to do. They broke process and precedent to undo the 2016 election. They were unsuccessful, but they tried. And now they're they're referring to our ability to use the process legitimately and honestly to verify what's happened here. And they act like that's the, the horrible transgression. No, sorry, we remember. They can gaslight all they want. They can play this game all day long. We remember. And we're not going to change. We're not going to back down on this one. And it's dawning on them that the 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 exuberance, the dancing in the streets, the partying. Yeah, it's all over. What's all over? You're going to have doddering old Joe Biden in the White House, maybe uh, trying to sign executive orders. You know what's going to happen to those executive orders when they're unconstitutional, which they certainly some of them will be. Challenge them in court, just like just like the libs did to Trump. And they challenge them in bad faith. I mean, they, they just run off knowing that some that some activist judge on the Ninth Circuit will give them whatever policy outcome they want until the Supreme Court overturns them. Supreme Court. Keep, that's how we know they're wrong. Right. The Supreme Court keeps looking at this and sometimes nine. Oh, they'll say, no, you can't. No, guys, you can't just stop him because he's Trump. Sorry. Even some of the libs on the Supreme Court would have to say, well, you know, no, you can't do that. Ah, Yes. They're realizing right now that they've set something of a template here, haven't they? That the libs, the Democrats refusal to accept the 2016 election and the hashtag resistance all around it. We're not going to be a bunch of lunatics like they were. We're not going to destroy things. We're not going to attack people. We don't do that. But we are going to approach it with the same tenacity that they did. We are going to take a look at what they've what they've done until now and make them live in a country where we're going to use all of the levers of power within the system we can to our advantage as well. It's not going to be a one way street anymore. It's going to go two ways. And that, I think, is is important to remember here. You know, Joe Biden's out there saying that that Trump needs to concede, of course, play 17. 
Sarah, what do you say to the Americans that are anxious over the fact that President Trump has yet to concede and what that might mean for the country? Well, um, I just think it's an embarrassment, quite frankly. Uh, the only thing that, uh, how can I say this uh, tactfully? I, I think it will not help the president's legacy. I think that uh, I know from my discussions with foreign leaders thus far that they are hopeful that the United States democratic institutions are viewed once again as being strong and enduring. But I think at the end of the day, you know, it's all going to come to fruition on January 20th. And between now and then, my hope and expectation is that the American people are, do know and do understand that there has been a transition. There has not been a transition. The votes have not been certified. There are legal challenges. They're, they're the ones that are denying process. Maybe Joe Biden won. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying that didn't, that didn't happen. The president goes further than I will go right now, but he's, he's in the fight and he's at the forefront of it. But when they say that this is already a done deal, that's not true. It is not a done deal. They can say it. They can repeat it as much as they want. It's not true. And was it un-American and terrifying when in 20, uh, 2000, rather, uh, Al Gore took it to court for weeks and weeks and weeks? Apparently said there's no need to be snippy when he told Bush that he was retracting, retracting his concession. Right. Don't be you don't need to be snippy about it. Uh, I'd be pretty snippy about it. But would that be better? Would that seem more honest for Trump to concede and then go to court? Think about the pathway that they're leaving open to him. As I've been telling you, if he conceded, but then was bringing court challenges, they'd say that he's being uh, duplicitous and that would be undermining our system. How, How could he be doing this? So was it yes or no? Was it Un-American, unpresidential for Al Gore to bring the legal challenges that he did, which were very straightforward. He just kept looking to have recounts done in specific counties in Florida and not statewide. And he kept cherry picking. Well, I want to recount, you know, in Miami-Dade, but I don't want to recount in the panhandle. You know, I want to recount here. I don't want to recount there. Uh, mm, No, that's not the way it's supposed to go. And then years later, it turned out there was Al Gore lost Florida. There was never a vote tally that could be done on legally cast ballots that put Al Gore ahead. Never happened. But you don't hear them talking about how that was so unpresidential and terrifying and and un-American. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They can't handle it, friends. Oh, and just like how it's somehow uh, not a violation of the Logan Act, It's a violation of the Logan Act for the incoming Trump National Security Advisor General Flynn to have a phone call with Sergei Kizilgak. That, they'll say, is a violation of the Logan Act, even though no one really believes that. But now Biden, who is not yet even the president-elect, but claims he is, is having calls with foreign leaders? That seems interesting. Play 16. Well, first of all, uh, I'm letting him know that America's back. Uh, We're going to be back in the game. It's not American alone. Number one, I've got had the opportunity to speak uh, with uh, now uh, six world leaders, um, and uh, and uh, the response has been very fulsome, energetic, and uh, they're all looking forward to being able to from from Great Britain to to France to Germany to 
Canada, et cetera, and Ireland. Um, so I, I feel good about the ability to. I said when we announced that the next president is going to inherit a divided country and a world in disarray. The reception and welcome we've gotten around the world from our allies and our friends has been real. I have a number of other calls to return, and uh, so I feel confident that we're going to be able to uh, put the Ameri- put America back in uh, the, the place of respect that it had before. The world in disarray? How is the world in disarray exactly? Because we haven't invaded a country we didn't need to? Is that why the world's in disarray? What exactly is Joe Biden referring to? That the world is in clearly better shape now, with the exception of COVID, which is not Trump's fault, despite all the stuff they say. Better shape now from a national security perspective during the Obama years? Rise of ISIS, collapse in Iraq, Afghanistan, the fight against the Taliban, more U.S. casualties than at any point during the Bush administration, the collapse of Libya, the toppling of Gaddafi. We had slave markets operating on the Libyan coast and mass executions by beheading of Christians, barely even getting much notice in the news as it was happening under the Obama administration because so much bad crap was going on. And we're going to talk about a world in disarray. That's delusional. But Biden's delusional. And also, based on the standards that the Libs set up, we should have Logan Act investigations of everybody involved in those phone calls now, right? That's what we're supposed to do, right? That's what, that's what the Democrats did to General Flynn. Clear case. We all know it. Now, I don't think that should be done to anyone, but the, but the point is here, they're frauds and hypocrites, and they weaponized a law that no one really believes in to go after Trump's national security advisor, and they want to talk about transitions. <laughs> You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So you believe there's widespread voter fraud, that the reports that we're getting from Pennsylvania, from Michigan, showing vote totals and massive leads or significant leads with 99% reporting are going to be overturned and that the United States failed to conduct a fraudulent free election? Rich, I'm the Secretary of State. I'm getting calls from all across the world. These people are watching our election. They understand that we have a legal process. They understand that this takes time, right? It took us 37 plus days in an election back in 2000. We conducted a successful transition then. I'm very confident that we will count and we must count every legal vote. We must make sure that any vote that wasn't lawful ought not be counted. That dilutes your vote if it's done improperly. Got to get that right. When we get it right, we'll get it right. We're, we're, we're in good shape. It's all going to be fine, folks. That's what Pompeo is saying. I've always thought Pompeo is a very competent member of the administration. He's a smart dude. And he's like, everyone just, it's fine. All right. There's no crisis here. There is no crisis of transition. The Biden people are just whining and making all this stuff. Oh, he's not going to leave. What is Trump supposed to have already left? Is that is that the answer? Is that what we're being told? Is Trump supposed to have already decided that he's going to just give up? Well, if you listen to John Brennan, Sure. 25th Amendment. They got to remove him. We'll talk about that. It's absurd. But then Pompeo did something that you're never allowed to do as a Trump supporter. Never. He made a joke. Play seven. Uh, Is the State Department currently preparing to engage with the Biden transition team? And if not, at what point does a delay hamper a smooth transition or pose a risk to national security? There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. All right. We're ready. The, the world is watching what's taking place here. We're going to count all the votes. 
when the process is complete, there'll be electors selected. There's a process. The Constitution lays it out pretty clearly. The world should have every confidence that the transition necessary to make sure that the State Department is functional today, successful today, and successful with the president who's in office on January 20th, a minute afternoon, will also be successful. I went through a transition on the front, and I've, I've been on the other side of this. I'm very confident that we will uh, do all the things that are necessary to make sure that the, the government, the United States government, will continue to perform its national security function as we go forward. And yet, panic. Panic. in the Oh, my gosh. He said there'll be another Trump administration. The Secretary of State is part of the coup. It's not a coup. We know what a coup is. That's what you guys on the left tried to do with the Russia collusion lie. That's a coup. Use deep state operatives to fabricate stuff for FISA warrants and then, you know, lie about evidence and then lie about being so dumb you couldn't see the dossier was fake. That's like that's a coup. This is the process as it is. You know, it really lives. They just need forget about mass vaccine doses for a second. Oh, that'll be great when that happens. Libs need mass Xanax doses. Just chill out. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, team, since we're still looking into fraud in multiple elections across the country, there are very real legal challenges making their way through the courts, and there are a whole lot of sworn affidavits piling up from people saying that there has been at least widespread irregularities, if not widespread intentional voter fraud. Let's let's jump into this with our friend Jack Posobiec, also known as Poso to his friends. He is a correspondent for One America News Network. Poso, good to have you, sir. Hey, Buck. Great to be here, man. What do we what do we know now at as of you know, Wednesday, November 11th, where are we in establishing that in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, there were clear irregularities and or actual intentional fraud? What have we seen? Tell us what, what you know. Well, I think the two big lines of this are, as you just stated, we do have the affidavits that are out there, hundreds of affidavits in some of these cases from Nevada to Michigan to Wisconsin to Pennsylvania, all of which deal with irregularities, all of, and specifically in the city of Philadelphia, where I was on election day and thereafter, uh, the, the specific prevention of meaningful election observers, uh, both inside the polls and inside the Canvas Center. Now, they, the Canvas Center, that's what, that's what it's called. That's the official term for where the ballots are being counted. So when you hear someone say Canvas these days, what it means is the actual counting of the ballot. So the Canvas Center uh, election observers were at first prevented from actually being within eyesight of the ballots, right? They were forced to stand behind a, a low fence that was set up, and they were almost 100 feet away from these ballots. They had to bring out binoculars at one point. That's clearly in contrivance with the, the spirit of the law. Uh, and, of course, we've seen the media saying, well, they were in the room. Yeah, they're in the room. They're all the way in the back of the room. Where they couldn't see anything. Uh, and then secondly, even after they got a court order, they were also barred from getting in. Just yesterday, when a few people showed up to even observe the ballots, observe the canvas situation going on in uh, the convention center in Pennsylvania and Philly, they found a list. And then one one poll worker uh, actually you know, kind of surreptitiously took a photo of this list. So the way it works is when you go in, there's a uh, 
credentialing table. So on the credentialing table, they saw a list and it was upside down. They took a photo of it real quick out of their pocket that had all Republican names on it of people that said, do not admit, no entry. Uh, and uh, this person's name was on it. I haven't been given clearance to say their name, but it is one of the names on the list. So I guess you can figure that out by, uh, uh, by elimination. Um, one of them was even Corey Lewandowski, the former campaign manager of President Trump, um, that were not to be allowed in. And of course, uh, having independent, or as we could even say, opposition election observers is very part and parcel in terms of the election code in just about every state in the country. So that's, that's all one track of things, right? The other track is going through and auditing these ballots. And now in so many of these states that where there are discrepancies, we know that there have been uh, cases where people were mailed duplicate ballots. My own brother in Philadelphia was ma mailed two ballots. Now he's a ma an honest guy, so he brought them in and he turned them both over. But I don't know that everybody in the city of Philadelphia did that, you know what I'm saying? Um, then we also see numbers where people have, have cross-referenced the mail-in ballot information, which of course is public, with the national change of address form. So people who may have filed a change of address form moved to a different state and yet then somehow also requested an absentee ballot for the state that they were previously residing in. Now, some states allow this, some states don't. That's going to be a process that they have to go through. And the Trump campaign or the party will have to make that part of the system that they go out after they have to make a part of their brief when they're talking about whether or not they're going to disqualify these. One of the biggest things that we, so that's one uh, that also gets you into where uh, these these issues of whether or not people who have deceased relatives are suddenly seeing that their you know their deceased relatives have gotten up and, and decided to vote. So all of these things combined, the question then comes down to those margins, those vote margins in the key states. In Arizona, it's under 15,000 margin. In Pennsylvania, it's about 45,000, very similar to the margin that Trump had with Hillary, actually. Uh, in in Michigan, it's in Michigan, it's pretty high, but in Wisconsin, it's only about 20,000. So these are the mar and in uh, Georgia, I think it's about 10,000. So these are the margins that anyone who's going up to talking about disqualifying these ballots, talking about going through them and figuring out which ones were filed lawfully and which ones were filed with problems, that's the challenge ahead for anyone on, shall we say, Team Trump. And one of the things they actually have in their favor right now is the, the rejection percentage rate. We are now starting to see that in these elections, typically, even when there's mail-in ballots, um, even in the primary of 2020, a large number of those ballots were rejected. Yet, however, somehow that rate came way, way down when it came to the general election. So they were accepting way more mail-in ballots than they usually do uh, just in terms of percentage. And we're not, I'm not talking about aggregate numbers here. So the question then becomes, is the reason that they were accepting them because they were accepting ones that normally would have been rejected if you were following the proper procedures. Speaking of Jack Posobiec, he's a correspondent for One America News Network. Jack, what are your expectations uh, in the days ahead about what we may find and also how this process will play out in states like Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, where the margin is for, for a state of that size with the millions of votes cast in those different states, the margin is razor thin. It's a razor thin margin. That's right. And that's why I, I do think that the Trump campaign has every right and, and should uh, fight to make sure that this that these votes are audited. Keep in mind, 
This is the first time we've ever done a national election with this amount of mail-in ballots before. Uh, mail-in balloting is even, even uh, you know, prohibited in some uh, other countries in the world because of massive issues. The Bipartisan Commission from um, uh, even uh, Jimmy Carter was on in, in 2005, you know, came out in, in uh, opposition to mail-in ballots and the practice of ballot harvesting. And so there's a lot of irregularities with this. And, you know, even outside of just actual fraud, right? There are many times where this, this system, I mean, think about it, Buck, right? When's the any time that you've ever seen the U.S. government on a national scale roll out something for the very first time and it worked perfectly fine right out of the box, right? I mean, we all remember the Obamacare website. We remember uh, anybody who's been in the military or been in the IC, you know, and understand that that's just not how it works. Right. And so I think it's silly for anyone to say, well, of course, we, you know, it had to have worked fine. Well, because why? Because we said so. Right. Um, no, that's that's just that's just not a reasonable thing to say. So I do think they should fight for uh, transparency, for openness, for a full audit of everything that's happened. Georgia is moving to a hand count. They're also moving to do an audit. And I think that the American people absolutely deserve that. Right. Um, and so that being said, the Trump campaign has a tough road to help. Right. It's it's not exactly an easy thing calling for this massive audit. And it's never been done at this scale. Uh, plus, these states, we don't have systems in place. We do not have systems in place to accurately track these ballots. We don't have anything like a federal voter database or any any of those types of things. Uh, this is very hodgepodge. A lot of this is done in, uh, you know, in, in contrivance, really, of the HAVA Act, uh, Health America Vote Act from 2002. And so. We just don't have a very good system in the United States for the handling of our elections. We never really have. And uh, you can certainly ask questions as to why that is. But this time, that system is really failing us because we've decided to put so much stress on it in a way that we never have before. Speaking of Jack Posobiec of One America News Network, Jack, do you think you know, you're at one of the places that is, is talked about as part of the expanding conservative voice and footprint in the media but just in general terms do you think we're reaching an inflection point here as well with the shift to uh, to platforms like parlor and rumble rumble being a a youtube i mean I, i'm on both of those platforms I'm, i know you're on you're on these different platforms uh, do you think that we're we're finally as a movement conservatives and people on the right are finally understanding that this is in fact what we have to do if we want to be competitive in the political and cultural landscape going forward. Well, I think that's right. And actually, you know, it's it's amazing to me when you look at the numbers, right? We know that 71 million people voted for Donald Trump, right? This that's that's a, that's an empiric number that we can look at. This is a guy who was uh, smeared, lied about, impeached on false pretenses, investigated on false pretenses by a mainstream media for four, probably five years straight. So the fact that 71 million people in the United States stepped up and affirmatively said no, they weren't just saying no to uh, you know, Democrats or Joe Biden, but they were also saying no to all of those purveyors of information that has turned out to be false, like the New York Times, like, like MSNBC, like CNN. And so I do think that there's been this massive turn and it is a it's an active turn, right? When people decide to turn off MSN and drive towards Parlor, towards Rumble, towards all these other outlets. They're doing it because they want something that's more useful for their life, that's delivering more value for them. That's an active, engaged participant, not just in you know, 
conservatism or, or, or Trump support, but in, in information and what's going on in the world, there's someone who has decided they're sick of being lied to and actually wants to take a stand for themselves to find out what's happening. And so I, I welcome all of it. I think I just saw a number. Uh, there was a letter from the CEO of Parler last night that just came out, John Mates, uh, who I know pretty well. And he said something like their numbers have hit 4 million now on the Parler platform, which I think is massive. I mean, you really can't, if they're at 4 million and they're able to hold that number in terms of active users, you really can't say that they're a, a small social media company anymore. You just can't. Um, and then with Rumble as well, you know, we just released a new documentary, Antifa Movie. That's at antifamovie.com. And we put it on Rumble. We put it on Pure Social. We put BitChute everywhere. It's on, in addition to YouTube and Vimeo. And uh, what's funny is YouTube and Vimeo came after us for, uh, they said, uh, you know, depictions of violence. I was like, yeah, it's an Antifa documentary. Of course, there's depictions of violence. Yeah, but take it up with the Democrats who so have no problem with the violence they're doing, right? It's crazy. Well, but, Jack- you know, we're explaining it. We're, we're fighting it. We're not we're not encouraging it. Jack, uh, I think this is this is where we're going. I, I feel I'm very bullish about conservatism and the role of of the Trump mentality in all of this. And, and I know you're a part of it, too, my friend. So thank you so much for joining us here from One American News Network. Jack Posobiec. Thanks so much, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. There will be no relief among the libs until Trump is uh, run out of town in D.C. They're, they're completely insane. I know we would talk about how there's this this panic among the liberals because Trump's never going to leave. Right. No, Trump is just going to, no matter what, continue to be a voice in politics that takes the fight to the other side, that does not back down, that does not beg forgiveness or bend the knee. That's not going to change. But. Yeah, maybe he goes back to living in uh, the building that he owns in New York City's Midtown and Mar-a-Lago and numerous other properties, right? He'll be he'll be just fine. But the deep state is still out there, as you know. And yesterday there was some testimony on on Capitol Hill. Well, the remote Capitol Hill testimony for the witnesses, but the uh, senators were there. The Senate Judiciary Committee got together. And uh, it was just a reminder that with all we found out about how the Russia collusion uh, conspiracy was a total farce, it was complete nonsense with all of that stuff. um, We still have gotten no real accountability. And in fact, now you're seeing the unhinged, the, the TDS suffering former senior government officials who are deep staters are making noise One, because I think they really are crazy enough to believe that Trump is some threat to democracy. And like, how will we ever survive and all that stuff? Yeah, that's a part of it, to be sure. Uh, But also, there is this belief among the libs. uh, There's this belief that uh, they can get some of these people from the Obama era of government to come back. Right. They, They want to be back in the game. And that reminds me of John Brennan, a guy who should be considered really disgraced from his government service. But that's not the perception on the left. When you see who the Democrats are considering to bring in and who Biden's considering to bring into his possible administration, you know, names like Susan Rice come up. Right. I mean, they're going to there's going to be a whole 
Obama three or, or well, I guess 2.0 could have been the second term. So Obama 3.0 or third term of Obama will be some of the mentality here. And that's why you have John Brennan. I don't think he's done. I think he'd be happy to come back in some capacity, even just as a you know, senior White House advisor again, talking about how how they should. I, you know, you got to make a lot of noise. To be to, to be heard among the crazy libs these days. I mean, you have crazy Keith Olbermann running around saying that Tucker Carlson should be arrested. <laughs> I mean, you have just lunatics all over the left. That's very common. And uh, John Brennan is out there saying some some pretty crazy stuff in, in order to uh, get noticed right now. Here he is. Play 23. Well, if Vice President Pence and the cabinet had an ounce of fortitude and spine and patriotism, I think they would seriously consider invoking the 25th Amendment um, and, you know, pushing Donald Trump out because he is just very unpredictable now. He's like a cornered cat tiger and he is going to lash out. And the fact, that, again, that he has the powers of the presidency in his hands is quite worrisome. Now, we, we know that uh, the Attorney General Barr has uh, done Donald Trump's bidding in the past. Will he continue to do that uh, vis-a-vis this election? I don't know. But I do think it's something that the members of Congress, the leadership of the Republican Party, really needs to send clear signals to Donald Trump that if he goes, uh, continues to go along this path, they are going to put up roadblocks. What, what path? The bringing legitimate legal challenges in court path? You know, Democrats built a whole resistance strategy for four years of suing the president all the time. Sue him, sue him, impeach him, sue him, special counsel, sue him. I mean, this is what they did for four years. They act like we don't remember any of this. But this is the former CIA director. I worked at the CIA. This guy could have been my boss at one point. He wasn't, thank God. But not that the CIA directors I had were much better. Panetta is better than Brennan. I'll say that. Panetta, you know, he's a he's a Democrat, but he's, you know, he's a Democrat who isn't completely out of his mind. Brennan thinks they should remove. Think about that. You're going to remove the president right now with the 25th Amendment? He's saying this on TV. He thinks that's an intelligent thing to say. Stunning, isn't it? This is where this is what Trump derangement syndrome does to people, though. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Unfortunately... I don't think there's going to be any accountability for the deep state. We should just recognize that at this stage, too late for the Durham probe to matter, too late for there to be any last minute revelation from Lindsey Graham on the Senate Judiciary Committee or anywhere else. And we saw some of that earlier this week. They were grilling McCabe, the former acting FBI director, among one of the chief henchmen of the anti-Trump deep state. And they forced him to show us exactly who he is when asked about whether it was legitimate to bring a Logan Act based investigation of General Flynn, especially considering the Biden administration in waiting that it considers itself to be hasn't won yet, is already having phone calls with foreign leaders. McCabe wouldn't answer danced around it. Ted Cruz pushed him hard on this question. He would not tell us what really went on. He wouldn't admit that they used as a pretext the fake belief that they pretended to have that there was a real concern over a Logan Act violation 
that led to General Flynn having a sit down with two FBI agents who also did not believe he lied. But then later on, Mueller reviewed the written notes of those FBI agents and came to the conclusion, oh, no, he lied. Let's bring a bring a felony prosecution against him. This is uh, outrageous, friends. It's disgusting. But remember, the deep state operatives have not been held to account. A lot of talk, a lot of talk from people on cable news about how any minute now, any minute, the other shoe is going to drop. Didn't happen. And I told you it wasn't going to happen because I know the bureaucracy. I know how this game is played. I used to be in the CIA. So trust me when I tell you that they protect their own in the intelligence community, at the FBI, at the DOJ. And if you're a Democrat, the mentality is always you're part of the of the apparatus that supports the state and therefore the statists. And that's the Democrats. That's the way it is, right? It's just a constant circle of Democrats within the federal government can push, can show which team they play for, and then they can rely on other Democrats within the federal government to think that they're doing the righteous thing by backing them up and covering up for them. And now even I think they're going to come forward and try to get their place in a Biden presidency. That's what they're trying to do. So not only did they avoid punishment, and we need to understand this, but the federal bureaucracy uh, was unwilling to make the kinds of changes necessary to get to the truth here. And so you have these people who are going out like McCabe spewing Democrat talking points at this stage, at this stage, because they realize, you know what, maybe we can come into a Biden a Biden team. Sally Yates already being talked about as a possible attorney general. Here's uh, here's one of them. Here's uh, McCabe himself talking about how Trump not conceding at this stage is making us all at risk because of national security. Play it. It's hard to imagine with the negative things that the president has already said about the director of the FBI. It's hard to imagine that he survives uh, another, you know, nine or ten weeks of uh, the retribution, you know, firings uh, for retribution, and, and doesn't end up the victim of one of those himself. Now, that said, I think that Director Ray has put himself in that crosshair by doing exactly what he should do, which is doing his job, telling the truth representing to Congress and to the nation what the true state of threats are in this country and what they are not, specifically uh, widespread voter fraud. So that's going to be a very interesting thing to watch. Um, the danger, of course, is increased instability at the highest levels of not just our federal agencies, but the agencies most responsible for our national security, which is you're basically kneecapping the country's ability to protect itself, which I don't I don't know that there's a more significant threat than that. Oh, yes. The biggest threat in the world right now is Donald Trump going through the legal process during an election to get answers about irregularities and voter fraud. We're all at risk. The Chinese are going to invade a nuclear first strike from Russia. It's coming any minute because Donald Trump wants to find out how many dead people voted in Michigan. This is what the deep state does, friends. They don't learn lessons from their misdeeds they just hone their evil skill set they just improve on what they've done in the past and hope they'll get away with it next time 
and they are going to be brought into a Biden administration. That's the, a way of extending one finger in the direction of not just Trump, but of Trump voters, the Constitution and our very system. Yes, that's right. The coup plotters will be a part of the Biden universe and maybe even very senior in it. And that's meant to show us all they plan on doing it again. This is why it matters that we continue the fight. This is why it matters that Trump won't just bend the knee and cave to the other side. Because we're going to go through this again the same way it's necessary for us to get answers about election fraud now so that we know in the future there'll be less election fraud the next time around. We have to continue to push and fight against what the deep state did and to highlight those individuals who took those actions, never faced any consequences, were liars, were frauds, weaponized the federal bureaucracy against an incoming administration, brought felony charges, ridiculous felony charges against General Flynn just to try to get somebody close to Trump out of spite. They did this out of spite, and now they think they'll be rewarded for it. They escaped punishment. The media covered for them at every opportunity. And now they think they're going to come into a Biden administration and reap the rewards. It's something that we all need to be aware of. I tell you the truth. We need to continue to highlight this, to focus on this, because the media will bury, bury all of what we've already uncovered. And I also believe that President Trump, one of the reasons they're so concerned about national security right now is they recognize one of the smartest things that Trump could do is just go on a declassification spree. Just start releasing as much of the deep state coup plotting as he possibly can. This has already happened to some degree with acting DNI Richard Grinnell, who did a fabulous job, fantastic work. Now we need Trump to just say, you know what? Sorry, no, no more of these blacked out lines and reports from the inspector general at the DOJ about coup plotting that just involved, you know, American officials talking to other American officials about how to undo the 2016 election. Let's get to the truth. Let's get some answers here now. Get the information out there because we are going to have to be the resistance against the deep state when they have more power in government. We have to prepare for that now, no matter what the outcome of this presidential election is. Trust me when I say they're going to try to do this whole thing again because they came close to making it work the first time and they have not paid the price. We need to change that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. On the possibility of another coronavirus package, um, it seems to me that with 6.9% unemployment, a third quarter GDP growth of astonishing proportions that even though we still have significant economic problems, um, we need to think about if we're going to come up with a bipartisan package here about what size is appropriate. It seems to me that snag that uh, hung us up for months is still there. Yeah, that snag also known as Democrats being completely unreasonable. Now we're at a point where shouldn't we all just agree that there needs to be COVID relief? 
There's all this talk out there about how we could be heading into the worst period yet. I, I don't believe that's true, but there, there are going to be a lot more cases and it's going to be a long, tough, cold winter. There's no question about that. And there's going to be this whole push from the Biden folks to go with even more extreme measures in the meantime, even before uh, Inauguration Day. They want to go with these more extreme measures as proof in advance that what they're doing works, right? If we don't do the same kind of lockdowns we did starting in March and we have far fewer cases, what does that tell you about the lockdown? I'm sorry, far fewer deaths and hospitalizations. Forget cases. That's not really a useful metric when you're talking about the severity of the pandemic. It's hospitalizations and deaths that matter. If we don't do the lockdowns and things look much better, then then what we've been talking about with herd immunity, T-cell immunity, you know, it's already gone through a large portion of the population. Those then that becomes irrefutable. So they need us to do the more extreme stuff now. And then no matter what happens, they'll say it would have been worse. That's how this goes. That's the mentality. And it's just troubling because they've held up this really desperately needed funding for businesses, for restaurants. They're going to shut down gyms and restaurants again. That's going to happen in major cities, at least. You can expect that's coming. I think it's an almost almost a certainty in New York City. But Nancy Pelosi, I thought she's about the working folks. I thought Chuck Schumer, who still is hoping that he's going to become majority leader, which is a terrifying thought. I thought they were all about getting money and getting assistance to people who needed it. And yet they're not. They want even more money. They want bailouts for these blue cities, especially because they know these blue cities are really going to need it going into winter with their extreme covid lockdowns. It's going to be a disaster for the economies of these places. Think of all the businesses that really rely on holiday season uh, spikes in commerce. And, and that's when they make so much of their money. Think of all of the businesses in major cities and major population centers in America for whom that's true. They need help now. They need money now. Uh, but they're not going to get it because Democrats are holding the American people hostage in this whole process. Republicans have already agreed. They've already agreed. They said, all right, let's go. Let's get that. They've been willing to give out money for months. But no, Democrats say it has to be the amount of money we say. Pelosi's going to say it has to be the amount of money we want to give. And this was not a repudiation of, of Republicans in the House. If redistricting had been a little different in a handful of states with these, there were court challenges to redistricting. If you had had different uh, redistricting in Georgia and North Carolina, a handful of other states, Republicans might have actually been able to take the majority. That's how tight this has actually become. The Democrats, of course, don't want you to don't want you to know that. Kevin McCarthy, who would be a, an excellent uh, speaker of the House, I believe, if he was able to be in that position, he's telling everybody, look, uh, the best way to raise money right now is just to have the crazy libs out there. Keep telling everybody how how crazy they are. Play 14. So you, the cycle, raised more money than any House Republican ever, more yes. than any of your speaker predecessors. What did you learn and how did you pull this off? Well, the best way to raise money is just let Nancy Pelosi and AOC talk. So you bring up a relatively junior member, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. 
Why do your people respond so vociferously to her? Well, she runs the floor. Wait, what do you mean by that? That wing of the party, the socialist wing of the party, they are the new power of the Democratic Party. More so than Speaker Pelosi. Oh, by far, by far. You watched on the floor. Legislation couldn't be passed unless AOC agreed with it. Isn't he sounding like somebody you know? The socialists are the real power of the Democrat Party, despite Pelosi as the uh, titular head of it, right? The socialists are the one really calling the shots. Sounds like somebody that uh, was on radio yesterday, in fact. And there you have it. The minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, telling you what what we can all observe, what we know to be true. And the Democrats are going to have to play this game of placating that part, the power center of the Democrat Party, keeping them happy enough that they won't upset the apple cart, while also making sure the American people don't figure out what's really happening with them, what's really going on here. Um, But with these uh, COVID lockdowns looming, we need to get money out there. We need to get the American people the assistance that they deserve because their businesses have been shut down. You have been financially affected. If you're having a tough time right now, you have been financially affected by COVID. And you know it. An action should be taken to address that by the same government that has insisted that you're not allowed to operate your normal business, that you're not allowed to conduct yourself the way that you had expected. You had every reasonable right to expect before the government lockdowns and the mandates all hit. Um, Speaking of the mandates, I got to say these these vaccines, it's really a, uh, just the light at the end of the tunnel. We got to get these things out as soon as possible. Even the Fouch. The Fouch is out there. He's talking to everybody. He said, hey, uh, you know what I got to tell you? This is a good thing. I, I will say I trust. I trust Pfizer. Play clip four. Would you take it? Well, I'm going to look at the data, but I trust Pfizer. I trust the FDA. These are colleagues of mine for decades, the career scientists. If they look at this data and they say this data is solid, let's go ahead and approve it. I promise you, Andrea, I will take the vaccine and I will recommend that my family take the vaccine. There we have it. Um, I will tell you this right now, and I know some of you disagree with me. Um, I will encourage anybody in my own life who's of the uh, higher age category to get the vaccine. Um, and, and depending on what we see when it comes out, I, I may get it too, just to make sure that I'm not a transmission risk for them. I, I do not have any concern here that if, if this data comes out from Pfizer and these companies, that they will, uh, they will be fraudulent. But notice, uh, this is a big change in tone. We were led to believe by Biden and Kamala Harris for months. Oh, you can't trust the FDA under Trump. You can't trust you can't trust even these major, you know, multi-billion dollar drug companies that have been around for decades and decades. Look, Pfizer, you know, Big Pharma gets beat up on a lot. Big Pharma does a lot of good for the world, too. You know, Big Pharma are really the heroes in all this, folks. I got to tell you, it's the scientists at Big Pharma, not the people at the CDC that are now claiming masks protect you and the people around you. Right. That's that's the new one. Now we're it used to be my mask protects you. And your mask protects me. Now it's masks protect everything, according to the CDC. Protects you from getting it. Protects you from giving it. Oh, okay. No, the scientists that we should be celebrating are the ones 
that had, yes, the profit motive in mind, that were working as capitalists in all of this. That's what capitalism and the system there, you know, the, the system of incentives that it lays out for companies like Pfizer and AstraZeneca and all these. I can't even name all the different pharma companies that have vaccines. They are going to end up being the heroes in all this. Here's what the Fouch says about when you'll be able to get it. Play nine. No, we're talking probably by April, the end of April, I would think. Again, these are just guesstimates. Right. I, I, I believe that within the next, within the first quarter, one of the things that we were concerned about, Jake, and I discussed this with you on a prior interview, was that we have a lot of people in this country who may not want to get vaccinated right away. That's why we were talking that it might take well into the second and third quarter to finally get people to be convinced to get vaccinated. But for those who want to be vaccinated, and I believe the incentive to get vaccinated will be greatly enhanced by the degree of efficacy. When you hear something is 90 to 95 percent effective, it makes it much more likely that someone would want to get vaccinated. But if Jake Tapper wants to get vaccinated, I think you're going to get vaccinated within the first four months. I would say by April, you'll be able to be vaccinated. Even a Fouch has some good news once in a while. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody. Please go to BuckSexton.com. Check out our latest news stories there. Great place to see what we got going on in the Freedom Hut. You can also listen to our podcast there. Just you find the play button. So easy. Make it a homepage for yourself. BuckSexton.com. And let's get to it. Richard. Oh, if you want to send us, you know how to do this. Buck, uh, sorry, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com or send us a message on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to kick it old school, send an email. Please don't mail snail mail letters. I, I got I just got it. You know, producer Mark, they passed someone mailed letters into the iHeart studios here in New York. I got a few of them. I think they're two years old. So that's not that's not a that's super snail mail. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm very concerned with how they even got our address. Uh, you know, people Google iHeartMedia, they, they can send it, and, it, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, they can figure it out. It's not that hard. But, uh, yeah, and eventually, I got, I got a handful of letters sent to me, re- handed to me recently, and they were really old. <laughs> so please don't, please don't mail things in. We do not have a mailing address for the show. Were they nice? Or were they hate mail? What, what no, were they? they were nice. It's just, I think, you know, it's like people want to talk about, like, the midterm elections. Uh, it's just not... I feel bad, you know, that's, I'm not able to give them uh, an assessment that matters for the midterm elections because that was like two years ago. <laughs> so we we need to make sure we get the if you're going to send in mail, use the electronic stuff, folks. Keep it. Keep it. 21st century. Don't don't kick it old school that much. You can email us. That's fine. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Producer Mark loves to go through there. Just keep it clean, ladies. Producer Mark is a married man. You know what I mean? Keep it clean. Are you accusing people of not keeping it clean? <laughs> no, I just wanted to say that. 
Uh, Very disturbed by that. Just, just making sure. Hey, it's a crazy world, man. People said all kinds of crazy uh, stuff. Usually, if they, if it's anything other than clean, it's mean towards you. Oh no, I know that. Yeah, no, no one says anything bad for producer Mark. Um, but I, I was also uh, reminded of how when I was, I was an intern at CBS Evening News with Dan Rather in the year two thousand, and one of the things that they would have me do. Speaking of snail mail was I I was the only intern on that show and they would have me open his his fan mail and wow wow there was some stuff out there there was some pretty 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 wild people would write eight pages front and back handwritten to Dan Rather it was really it was an eye-opening experience I'll tell you that because I also wish I could have written back on his behalf or rather, written back to them and said, "You guys know this guy's a dumbass, right? Like you shouldn't you shouldn't waste your time." He did you know have anything. to write back to them? Like, did he write back? Nah, no. Nah. So, what was the purpose of you opening the mail? That's a good question. I think maybe it was up to me to, uh, you know, if there was something that was like a, a an important tip. I don't know. I, I just tell you, they gave me his mail, his fan mail to open, and I was like, okay, and I'd open the fan mail, and I was like, all right, you know. But yeah, no, I, I, maybe, I don't know. Maybe they made me respond to a few. I can't even remember. It's been so long. I, that's a good question, though. <laughs> Why was I opening this mail? Then again, I, I worked at a, at a uh, as an intern. God, I had all these. In, I had all these unpaid internships. So exploitative, folks. Unless it's a really established program where you're getting school credit and or getting paid something. Unpaid internships. This was the all the rage in the 90s. They were just exploiting kids like me at all these places and all the time. You think that was just the 90s? Is that still going on? I of feel like now you've got to do. I feel like now you got to do. Uh, you get school credit for it, which means you're spending less money on tuition, so that's good. Uh, or you get paid. I mean, if you're getting paid for an internship, fine. That's great. No, when you do an internship, you still have to pay your school for the credits. Um, Most interns lose money I, unless the I, company pays. I know our company, iHeart, does pay their interns, but a lot of companies still do not. Uh, no, yeah, paid internship, cool, totally down with that. Unpaid internship is is exploitation. I did an unpaid internship at the Council on Foreign Relations. Total exploitation, total exploitation. There's no point in it at all. I was just doing the worst kind of grunt work. I didn't learn anything really. I got to go to some foreign policy meetings with some blowhards, you know, former secretaries of state or whatever. Who cares? Didn't mean anything. It would have been better for me to work in a store, get paid a salary, learn how they learn how they run the books. I'm being serious. Econ. If you can find it for all the college kids listening out there and all the high school kids who listen to this show as well, if you can find a, a position that will pay you some money and that will expose you to what it means to, to be a part of a business that has profit and loss statements, get a sense of you know what it is that they're doing, how they're making their money, and, and develop that early financial literacy of how to run a business. And also what it means for yourself. What do you do with that money that you make? You know, are you able to put a, even just a little bit of a side starting savings accounts, starting stock accounts at a young age, understanding compound interest, understanding uh, how to work within the financial system? It does. It's not about the amounts. It's about the knowledge. So, you know, if you can set aside 500 bucks over the summer and and put that into your first ETF fund. I mean, assuming, I guess, you're, I think you have to be 18 or someone has to do this on your behalf, but you start those things. Um, you know, this, this is what they, I had no education in this myself whatsoever. 
when I was doing, I just worked at all these internships. I was just doing research stuff for one. I mean, the I worked at a think tank that paid me, and you know, I think it was maybe four hundred bucks a week or something. You know, that was not. You know, there there are those internships out there where you get a little bit of the best of both worlds. But I'm telling, get a job, job if you can, get a job, job over the summer, and even if it's a side hustle, job, job, meaning that you're making money doing you know work uh, for Task Rabbit or something. You know, if you're really good with I don't know all all kinds of things, Bruce and Mark. What what kind of jobs did you have when you were when you were a youth? Uh, let's see. Uh, my dad used to run greeting card shops back when those were a thing before CVS had cards and whatnot. Uh, mm. So I would work at his store quite a bit. Uh, I worked as an ice cream scooper. Yeah, I remember I asked you about that one. Yeah. Is it as hard as everyone says to scoop the ice cream? It, it actually does take a toll on your back because you have to keep you know climbing into the refri- uh, freezers. So yeah. <laughs> My back hurts. Yeah, no, I can imagine that. Other than that, it's been mostly media jobs. Yeah, media. Yeah, of course. You find the area that you that you, you like. When's producer Mark going to start his uh, his um, baseball fan podcast? Uh, I don't know. I, I've, I've been thinking about it. Dude, you should start a baseball podcast. We maybe not just show. baseball, sports podcast. Sports. Yeah, yeah sports but everyone podcast. has a podcast now. So what's the point? You know. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, but you know, good podcast people listen. You know what I mean? You'd have a, you'd have a fun podcast. That's true. I would have exposure here on a nationally syndicated radio show. You would, you would. You'd have like people in cities all across America would hear about your podcast. I'm just saying that would be a thing. That, that, would that is very true. Yeah. Um, you know our friend uh, Brandon, who who fills in when producer Mark is 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 uh, absent. He has a a podcast based around like Guns and Roses and music. He does. Do you know about? Oh yeah, it's a very it's popular ap- podcast. Ap- appetite for distraction or destruction destruction yeah yeah he's got a podcast i'm just saying you know we could we some something to think about producer mark as long as it doesn't take away from your dedication to this show no, nothing would ever take away my there dedication we go. From this that's show. what we that's what we love to hear uh yeah no, i had i was a tutor when i was uh in high school i tutored for money so i would tutor kids in, in grade school um mostly english and history i had gosh i don't know five five or six different internships over summers over the years in media and think tanks. I worked at, as an intern for a short while at a music uh, company, kind of an A&R and publishing company. Uh, so that was a horrible internship. It sounded like it would be cool. It was awful. Um, there was nothing for me to do. But I just thought about this because I people would send in their unsolicited music submissions and they straight up told me, they're like, yeah, you can listen and if you think it's the most amazing thing you've ever heard, which you're not going to, you can bring this to one of the actual employees. <laughs> that, that was my uh, that was part of my gig. That could have been a oh. cool story. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, if you obviously if you struck lightning or lightning strikes rather and, you, you know, you struck gold. Um, but uh, there was some really bad stuff that got sent in. Hey, this, so this was pre-American Idol, right? So the only way that you'd really get discovered would be if you sent in your demo tape to, uh, to a, a music publishing company like this, and they might, you know, sign you to a label and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it was uh, it was pretty remarkable, I'll tell you. It's pretty boring. They had really nice office space, though. This used to be a great business. The office space was gorgeous, but the actual company, what I was doing, was total crap. So yeah, yeah these are things things you learn, things you learn about the past. Oh, and I was an unpaid. I was a camp counselor, including an unpaid camp counselor. Because I was a counselor in training, that was a horrible job. Because I was doing all that the counselors did and just didn't make any money. Again, folks, for the young ones out there, 
find jobs where you have responsibility and you make money for your job. I don't care, whatever it is, babysitting, ice cream scooping, do that and start the beginnings of a savings account, of a of a investment, you know, stock account for yourself. Have an adult that kind of oversees you, talk to you about it, but start those things when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, if not sooner. All right, so I, I've kind of gotten distracted from roll call. Here we go. Richard, he writes in first here, Buck, Biden saying that he won before all the court cases are held is outrageous. All my lib friends think I'm nuts because there is a process, I tell them, and it should be followed. Their Trump hatred has blinded them to the importance of due process. I really hope we succeed in the courts so the libs melt down like the Wicked Witch of the West. I'm melting! Buckets of water and shields high. Yeah, Richard, if the libs at any point are told that it turns out Donald Trump did win this election when all the votes are counted, I, I don't know how we could really describe that. It would be a a kind of a kind of uh, version of that scene in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark when when all the Nazis melt, you know, when the when the Ark of the Covenant is opened up and all the Nazis melt. It'll be kind of like that, psychologically speaking. Uh, but then the, the you know, they will actually destroy a lot of stuff. I, I would worry for the safety of many large cities in America, for just average folks in those cities, including here in New York, where I am, if the Democrats were told that Biden did not actually win. If that, if that was where this process goes, then the country gets a little bit scary. It tells you a lot about the Democrat mentality, though, doesn't it? it tells you what they're really like. Uh, Eric. Buck, I was thinking about this. In 2016, Trump lost by 1.7 million votes. In 2020, he's down by 700,000 with 80% reporting of all cities. I'm sorry, did I say New York? Yeah, he lost New York by 1.7 million. Looks like he's making up ground in New York. This says a lot about the election as a whole. Something isn't right in these other states. Keep fighting. Yeah, Eric, we're just fighting for answers. Just trying to find out what really happened here, what really went down. And I think we absolutely... I know we have that right, even though Democrats want to pretend we don't want to take it from us. We do have that right. And we will continue asking these questions. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call to close it out here in the Freedom Hut today. Angel, I listen to you on the Apple podcast in Daytona Beach, Florida. Since you have a large audience and hopefully some Democrats listening, I was wondering if you could do a deep dive into Venezuela and how that country collapsed. Also, the similarities that are going on here. Being from Gen X and having Hispanic grandparents, I was taught from a young age about socialism and communism in Cuba. We saw the warning signs with Venezuela. The problem I see with a lot of people not knowing is that most of the reporting was in Spanish, not in English. So a large portion of people here in the U.S. don't know what really happened. And this occurred during our generation. Millennials were too young to be watching the news or reading about it. Yes, Angel, what you're saying is certainly true. There are a lot of people who don't understand the history of Cuba, Venezuela, what happened in those countries, why they uh, both respect, uh, respectively collapsed. Uh, so that's a, a thing to, to look at. Whether we'll do a full deep dive on it here, I, I appreciate it, my friend. I'll look for opportunities based on the news cycle. But I, I can't promise with we still have Shields High podcasts we're working on and we got a lot of projects going at once. 
that will really be able to do, well, maybe a segment long deep dive, just not a full podcast or anything like that, but I could probably get into it. But it has to come back up in the news cycle because we got our hands full with so many other things. But it's a very good idea, Angel, and it is very important that the younger generations understand why did Cuba turn into a giant prison camp where all the cars are from the 1950s and uh, you can get imprisoned for saying the wrong thing about the decrepit ruling regime, right? There are good reasons to, a- to ask these questions and to have answers. Colton writes, hey, Buck, I'm a, from a city in Washington, pretty close to Seattle, and everything that's been going on here has been very disheartening. It's hard being a conservative in a state that's filled to the brim with liberals who hate you for what you stand for. What's even worse is our gubernatorial election that we just had. Not only did Jay Inslee, the one who has cost my state millions of dollars with his horrible policies, get reelected, his opponent, Lauren Culp, who lost, was then fired from his position as a police chief in Republic Washington. It's sad to see that if you don't succeed in challenging the way things are run, they'll destroy your entire livelihood. I appreciate you telling the truth in your podcast, Shields High. Well, thank you, Colton. And uh, yeah, I mean, there are unfortunately consequences that you'll you'll face as a conservative for trying to stand up to the machine. But I I will tell you, too, I'm I'm as New York as anybody. I was born in New York City in Manhattan. Both my parents are born in New York City. All my siblings, my brothers and my sister born in New York City, lived here, went to school here for most of my adult life spent all 18 years of my formative years here in New York City and I increasingly feel like a stranger in my own town because the the belief system here the the politics here it's just too much there used to be a more a more well first of all you're you're allowed to have different ideas and we just kind of thought in New York it was more of a live and let live approach to politics at least culturally socially Now, the authoritarian left is calling the shots and people have all bought into this and completely outnumbered. I'll tell you this. My brother, who's moved to Austin, Texas. So for KLBJ folks out there, I know I've been saying I'm coming. I am coming to visit him soon. He loves it and can't say enough things about how I need to move there. So, you know, there are other places. And Colton, I'm thinking about it myself for the future. Producer Mark and I are only half kidding when we talk about Florida. Or he can even go to Florida and I go to Texas. We keep doing the show the way we do it. So don't ever feel like you got to stay behind liberal lines forever. There's a lot, a lot of America out there. All right, friends, back in the fight tomorrow. Shields high.